Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Ginger Snaps, or United Against Life as we know it with Jordan Searles. <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Horror Vanguard. I am one of your co-ghosts. I am Ash. You might already know that. I am joined, as always, by... Hey, everybody. Uh, it's John. How are we doing? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm hoping our audience is doing good well. And today, we're not alone. Uh, we have a guest. Hello. Hi, I'm Jordane. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. First guest of 2021. And actually, the the first first guest in, in, in a minute. Like, it's been a while since we have... Welcome to guests to the Horror Vanguard Crypt. So thank you so much for coming on the show. So glad to be here. So glad to spread the good word on this film. <laughs> it is going to be a lot of fun. Um, but first of all, before we, before we jump in, first of all, a quick word from our sponsors. This program was made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Go to patreon.com slash horror vanguard and get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive content. Thank you. You'll forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with freaky stuff. It's super exciting. Um, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming by, uh, Jordan. Would you like to kind of like tell people a little bit about yourself, what you do, and most importantly, where people can find your work and uh, give you money? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a critic, I'm a podcaster, I'm a comedian, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, you can find my work on, I have a link tree. Um, so <laughs> if you, if you put in the link tree and then like uh, slash J Searles, you can find a lot of it. But, you know, I've written for a lot of places like a Vulture, um, New York Times, Vanity Fair, stuff like that. And uh, you can find my podcast, you know, Bad Romance Pod. So I'm sorry. I'm not good at promoting myself at all. It is. It's, it's, it's okay. We are really bad at it, too. So you're doing great. Great by our standards. <laughs> yeah, ab okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I uh, very much enjoyed the uh, Christmas episodes of Bad Romance uh, and the Hallmark, uh, the Hallmark movies, which is like a whole world that I, I, I feel like you, you've opened my cultural doors here. And oh my God, Hallmark is wild. Yeah, I we had a lot of fun talking about um, all three of Vanessa Hudgens' Christmas movies. Like what? A <laughs> What a prolific artist that one. Um, and it, it in in no way kind of having any kind of tonal shift uh, today. We're not talking about um, the the groundbreaking film work of Vanessa Hudgens, um, but we are going to be talking about uh, a, a genuinely, I think, incredible movie. Um, but as usual, at this part point in the show. Um, it's over to Ash, because Ash, you know, maybe people haven't seen this film. Um, I, I certainly hadn't seen it until prepping for this episode. 
Um, so, Ash, what are we talking about, and what's it about? This is this is such a shame because I got I got prepped to do an episode on the Maravista Goodwitch franchise. So there goes <laughs> there goes all the bad romance we could have ever wanted. <laughs> Uh, yes, today's today's movie is uh, it's a bit of a cult classic. Although I think it, I think it deserves to be kind of like lifted out of the cult classic purview and into something a little bit more. So uh, here we go. There is a liminal moment in contemporary American history that few films explore. On April twentieth, nineteen ninety nine, a shooting at Columbine High School in Colorado would reshape how pop culture approached violence for decades to come. One year and five months later, the attacks of September 11th would usher in a new cycle of endless wars, an expansion of the police state, and a cultural refraction that endlessly relived the moment without ever grappling its root causes. In the middle of this cultural interregnum, we find ginger snaps. More than just a treatise on feminism wrapped in a love letter to horror, this film is a time capsule. The heart of this time capsule is a singular phrase spoken by our lycanthropic sisters. It would do us no good to reduce this to a bit of teenage nihilism, for this is more than screaming into the void. It is a brutal canter to which our choir must respond. The phrase sets the tune to which we must dance. In this pocket of time before worlds sank into shallow understandings of post-Columbine violence that still rule today's discourse, before a mission-accomplished banner unfurled in the middle of a brutal act of empire that still rages to this day, in the moment before layer after layer of manufactured consent benighted our vision even further. The phrase recognized something we must hold fast. This is not our life. Our life has been taken. Let this phrase be the fire that burns in your eyes as a wolf in clear-sightedness paves the path towards a tomorrow in which we can fully live. What is this phrase, you ask? The call of our lycanthropic sisters? United against life as we know it. Join us for a discussion of John Fawcett and Kara Walton's Ginger Snaps. You know, you said before we started recording that this was maybe the weirdest uh, plot recap that you've ever done. And honestly, I think you can go weirder. <laughs> <laughs> well, ch challenge accepted for further episodes. But I, I thought the uh, linking Ginger Snaps to 9-11 was a bit, a bit out there. But here we are. That was wild. Wow, I did not expect it to go that way. <laughs> welcome, to, welcome to the show. <laughs> um, okay, let's 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 have let's kind of uh, dive in. And I don't know where where would you like to start with this film? If you were trying to if you're trying to kind of explain or contextualize this for someone who has never seen it, uh, how how would you how would you go about it? I mean, it's kind of like a bizarro image of suburbia. It reminds me, like, I don't know, like, if Tim Burton's movies had more, like, sexual energy, it's weird. I don't even know if that makes sense. <laughs> that um, is brilliant. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I guess we should probably start with these two sisters and what their bond is, because it's a very interesting one. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, com I completely agree with that because they're, I mean, like the the way the way the movie treats them, they're simultaneously sisters, uh, best friends, and there's 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 definitely a lot of like pseudo incest lines that run through the film, 
So I, I think like these two characters wind up embodying so much discourse that it's hard to it's it's hard to talk about them in simple terms. Like I think we'll get onto this later, but this is a really in like every sense of the word, this is kind of a messy movie. And our two our two sisters definitely echo that. Yeah, I would agree, I would agree with that. Uh, I I was sort of watching it and being like. I, I kind of get these people, you know, it's like if this was a film set in like the 19th century, they would have be, you know, like laudanum addicts who, who spent all of their evenings like reading, you know, Goethe or something. But uh, I, I, I love like the giant oversized hoodies that they both wear. Uh, I, I love that I could probably predict exactly what post grunge bands they listen to. It's like, <laughs> It's got this incredibly like specific sense of place and time. It could only be like a, a very late '90s, early 2000s film, I think. Oh yeah, definitely. Because we don't really, yeah. I mean, I would say past 2005, this aesthetic is gone entirely. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah the 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 look of our characters is definitely in that in that moment these are like the death throes of grunge that we're witnessing yeah yeah and also like it w you know it's interesting that kind of style started in grunge and then just kind of like ended in the whole like if any kid is like weird or an outcast they dress like this that was like the last coughs of this <laughs> <laughs> uh you know, as someone who dressed like that, I get it. <laughs> it is it is it is really lived in in Ginger Snaps, though. Like, I think, I think it would have been really trite if if they were all dressed like extras and like smells like the smells like Teen Spirit video. You know, like it would have been eh, a, a bit a bit washed out. But I think there's so many like wonderful little touches to their costuming, like Bridget's. They're they're, they're like uh. They're like crow skull necklaces that they wear. It definitely feels like young suburban teens who are like trying to figure out the like goth alternative clothing that they want to wear, but they don't like they don't yet have access to all the pieces. So they're still wearing like these random hoodies and stuff to to finish the look. Yeah, totally. I really like what you said about uh, that th this is basically a, another horror movie about suburbia. Um. And we talked to, we talked on the show a little bit before about that, but like the reason suburbia is 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 kind of horrifying is what they say right at the beginning of the film, which is that like it's a place full of dead ends. There's literally nowhere to go. Everything ends in like a cul-de-sac, so you end up kind of like literally and figuratively trapped. You know, you're you're trapped geographically, you're trapped culturally. Uh, as as someone who uh, grew up in the verbs, it's sort of like, yeah, it is it it is absolutely a place full of dead ends, as uh, as one of them says. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I never, I don't know. I lived like between suburbia and something else, so like not quite like not quite there, but you know, right. Or, it was like, I lived in a very small townhouse, but then like, if you pass the trees, there's like mini mansions. Like, it's so strange. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, I mean, yeah, there's something about being trapped and there's also something about like 
not really being connected to culture outside. So kind of like taking whatever bits that they can find. Yeah, whatever sort of like circulates out of whatever the big city nearby is. That's the thing that they kind of like hook onto. Yeah. And I this their bond is so interesting because I feel like so much of this movie is about like getting your period um (laughs) which i feel like if it was done now it would be like it would be terrible i feel the tightrope that they walked here is really interesting but it's just so interesting that like neither one of them has had their period and it's just so it's such a choice (laughs) and 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 this whole thing of like uh it, it like the the opening kind of half like there's like heavy carry vibes right mm, you know, yeah the, yeah it, this long tradition of being kind of repulsed and, and terrified and yet at the same time desperate to control women's bodies that runs all the way through horror um and it's like yeah i, I can't imagine that being made now and it being like anywhere handled anywhere near as well yeah, yeah. Our way of like using humor to talk about these things has gotten way worse, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's I I always really liked the idea of well, because like the wolf allegory is like you know becoming a woman as opposed to like being mm-hmm. a kid. Which number one, I love that concept. I'm actually working on a story that's based on that concept because I feel like it doesn't come up as much. Mm-hmm. Um, Hell yeah! I don't know. It's like it's weird because they they already look so mature, but then they don't sound it, and then this thing changes, and then it's like it's it's like the kind of conversations that you would think like two eleven year old boys would be like, "Ew, you like girls now?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very much like a, a really you're interested in boys like those creatures. <laughs> <laughs> That, that strange rel- kind of species of monster that we see circulating around boys no i think that i think that's like really it, it's compelling right because it's definitely i think you're completely right about that it's like th- th- this is the dialogue that younger children would should be having you know it, it feels a little adolescent for for like high school age girls but at the same time like i think you know uh Karen, oh my God, I'm blanking on her last name. Karen Walton. <laughs> Karen Walton's writing, like, like she she does so much that humanizes kind of like how how like I, I don't necessarily want to say sheltered the two sisters are because that's not really the white right way to describe it, but like almost isolated. And in, in the, they're an island of two in their high school, right? Like they're not hanging out with the other girls or the other boys, right? So they're not they're not like up to speed because I'm sure the other girls in their class are talking about these issues much differently than they are. Yeah, definitely. And it's also like they're not even like stoners. They somehow manage to have these personalities that make them not be able to get along with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this is like, it's, it's beautiful. It's like that like penultimate 90s like, gothic nihilism you know like these two like hate legitimately hate the world around them and i think like it's so it's so weird to see that portrayed in teens in that post 9-11 environment you know like now like teens and movies are all like juno teens 
<laughs> Juno teens. I mean, yeah, Juno teens are like aggressively preppy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is they're, they're, they're so cultured and worldly, and and their their jokes are so like almost like there's there's like a writerly uh, aristocracy vibe that comes off of like today's movie teen. Oh yeah, I feel like that was the big criticism against Booksmart mm. is how all of the teens talked to each other in that movie. They 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 talk like a forty five year old in a writer's room, you know, not like <laughs> not like a teenager. <laughs> you know, I have a soft spot for that movie, but you're not wrong. You're not like <laughs> entirely wrong. <laughs> but I I think you're completely right though that like Ginger and Bee like sound like awkward asshole teenagers and it's like that's an important that's an important kind of like uh freedom that i think often now gets kind of like culturally stripped away which is the freedom to be like someone who is kind of weird and is interested in memento mori and fake death photography and it's like now they would be like treated with much more suspicion and they would be kind of like social and often probably like legal structures that were trying to police them. How awkwardness is coded has, has in cinema, especially has like completely changed, you know, like, like awkward, like, I mean, I'm thinking of like Lydia Dietz and like all of like the teen horror stuff, you know, like, like teens, and this is, I think this is very much a post Columbine thing, but like the, the darkness and the morbidity and the melancholia have been kind of extracted and replaced with like kind of bizarre but marketable niche interests, you know, like if Ginger Snaps was was redone in like 2021, or maybe not 2021 because of COVID, then it would be completely, completely different. But if it was redone in like 2018, they would be like, you know, oh, I'm so quirky. I'm listening to Cream on vinyl or something. You know, that would be the new edginess that they have. Yeah, I I have so many thoughts on the way that teens talk now. Like uh <laughs> Ginger Snaps has a very kind of like stylized kind of dialogue that, mm-hmm. you know, would remind you of Heather's yes. and, and other stuff like that. But then there's also this reality to it. Like I keep on thinking about, uh, God, uh, the actress, the Tom Cruise's first wife, I, Mimi Rogers. Mimi Rogers. <laughs> yes. Mimi Rogers. I. All of the sweaters that me, everything <laughs> that Mimi Rogers wears is just so aggressively like of that time, exactly in that space. Like so much of the specificity of this movie carries it. We should absolutely talk about the kind of family dynamics, considering you've talked about Mimi Rogers. Um, and I was I was looking up the rest of the cast. And I realized that the dad is played by the amazingly named John Bourgeois, which, which <laughs> on a on a on a communist horror movie podcast, I was just sort of like, this is perfect. I couldn't, I could not have made that up to be the name of the actor who plays this kind of useless bumbling patriarch. Yeah, I barely remember him in the movie. Like whenever I'm done watching it, I'm just like, oh, did they have a dad? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I completely agree. Like I just forget his character all the time. And like I, I tried looking this up and I couldn't figure it out, but I really want to know if John Bourgeois is a stage name. Like did he 
did he of his own volition choose this identity or was this thrust upon him by his family? <laughs> just just honestly, just perfect. Although although I guess I, I really gotta say John Proletariat. That I, I couldn't I couldn't see that name on like an Emmy Award or something. That doesn't have the same ring. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Oh man, um, I, I wish I was less high. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm here. I'm good. Uh, so actually, oh, uh, just one thing that you brought up—it um, kind of jumped on my mind. So Heather's, Heather's comes out twelve about twelve years before Ginger Snaps, right? And like, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and I described Ginger Snaps as better Heather's. And I was wondering if if either of you had any like thoughts on like because these are very similar films with a lot of like similar thematics and energies running through them. And I wonder if either of you had any like comparative film criticism thoughts. This is honestly the first time that it really clicked for me that it reminded me of Heather's like as I was saying it, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I mean, there is maybe something a bit more relatable about Ginger Snaps since it's a little bit more aimless. All of the people in Heather's like have these like very, very specific goals. And it's like yeah. kind of like um, calculated uh, Heather's. I feel like, I don't know. I don't, I think, I think a better thing to say is that ginger snaps doesn't feel like a movie that's trying to be quotable. It's just trying to tell yeah. a story. That's legit. Yeah. I think that's really good. I would, I would, I would totally agree. And I think, I think the aimlessnessness. The aimlessnessness is part of is part of that, because, um, because again, it kind of ties back to this idea of like suburbia. You know, it's a place that's built on on routines, and the whole point of the suburbs is like nothing really drastic or dramatic is supposed to happen. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's the whole kind of like existential point of them. So the the kind of aimlessness and and sort of like directionless. Uh, nihilism that they're feeling at the beginning. Yeah, I, 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 I think I would agree with you, Ash. Yeah, bold argument, but I'm with you. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I, I don't know. I was, I was thinking about it a little bit because these movies are just like, like the more I think about it, the more these movies are like so similar, right? And like the one thing that kept jumping out to me is that like Heather's is almost that kind of nihilistic teenage angst viewed from the outside. It's like how. How, how an adult, like how, how a detached adult would see teens. And then Ginger Snaps almost feels like, you know, you're, you're in the room looking out this time, you know, you're, you're in the middle of this whirlwind of seemingly arbitrary and chaotic violence and constant physical change. And I think it, it, it plays it, it plays it so much, you know, like closer to the heart in Ginger Snaps, which is a weird thing to say about like a late nineties werewolf film. <laughs> This is maybe the only podcast I've been on where we weren't always interrupting each other. Like, there's so many, like, respectable silences. So what did you two think about the movie? <laughs> Actually, maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, body horror. Because um, I, I, you said something earlier, which I really liked, Ash, which was like, this is a very messy film. Uh, and uh, it, it, it is in terms of like the relationships 
and the 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 central pair that it portrays but it's also like quite literally a pretty messy splattery film um and i don't know i i guess maybe we could talk a little bit about that that analogy of uh getting your period and lycanthropy uh and yeah what what did you think i mean i love the idea of you know the wolf the werewolf myth being connected to sexuality and this is one of the few films that actually looks into that for women the other one is called my mom's a werewolf i think which i have seen um but here i don't know because like once ginger does turn into a wolf she becomes like very like sexually aggressive and i wonder this this idea that um that it leads to like sexual aggressive aggression even in women and that that's like the next step for women <laughs> is interesting yeah yeah that, that's so some of the stuff in this movie that i think is uh much much harder to puzzle on it revolves around kind of like patriarchal violence and sex you know because like uh, the 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 transformation of ginger is very much the like the stock like oh the homely girl takes her glasses off and now she's a total babe transformation <laughs> yeah which eh, that's that's fraught with its own uh you know like discursive landmines i guess but like one of the things that i think is kind of interesting and this i guess like this draws in ginger snaps too um but like you know like the 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 teenage boy with the pimples <laughs> that we meet in this movie um he, he becomes like a demon werewolf that hunts b uh you know through all, all across the country and there's like yeah i think i think you hit the nail on the head when you when you kind of said that like conflating sexuality and the kind of like masculine aggression that we read uh, in sexuality is kind of like a cultural thing is, is how this movie is looking at it, right? Like becoming sexual means like becoming like, I guess like in quotes, like men in a way, which is, which is like a weird discursive thing this movie's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, I kept on thinking of like different ways it could manifest um, you know, like maybe like sexual confidence or, you know, mm-hmm. make you better at sex. But here it's just it means that you're going to like grab a guy and throw him against the wall. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's like I didn't I didn't even think of that, like like a posy version of the werewolf transformation in this movie where she's instead like like confident and happy in her like early sexual exploration and stuff and not just like beset by the same evil that we see like you know going after her in the beginning right because we get like that stock thing where the boys are like like i bet you can't get with ginger you know and then then that like plays in reverse later in the movie yeah completely yeah i think that I think that what this is movie this movie is trying to do in terms of women and just be like, okay, men are really, really aggressive. So what if you got the power to also be really, really aggressive yeah. and you were better at it than he was? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, it can be empowering in a sense. I mean, when I first watched this movie, because this movie is 20 years old, which is wild. Oh, God. Yeah, it's 20 years old. I'm 28. I don't know. It's weird. 
But um, the first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is what I'm going to be. I'm just going to like chew up the boys. And I'm going to spit them out. <laughs> it's going to be like, and this is me like at 12. Like, <laughs> that owns, uh, that's great. <laughs> and like now um, I just look at it and I'm just like, well, girl, like, what if you just like got a hot boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, obviously that would be that would be the 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 botany obsessed weed guy that this movie has it's like oh, get, yeah. <laughs> get get you a weed guy who's also super into botany <laughs> he he's such an interesting character because once you mentioned once the mention of heathers came up i just kept on thinking about that is the kind of type that this guy is trying to be and kind of failing at is like a Christian Slater type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I kept on, I don't know, every single time I watch it, I'm just like, what? what is this boy? And I just realized recently that it's like, it's the only boy that's around that's not just like a complete idiot. It's really just like a scarcity thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> Legit, legit. No, I think I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, and I think that the weed, the whole weed of it all is like, okay, he's too chill to like act like a complete psycho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, that that makes sense. He's 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 too stoned to be as aggro as the football boys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As as the guys being weird, watching them play hockey, which is. The most Canadian thing. <laughs> oh yeah, this this movie has massive Canada vibes. <laughs> I'm like, yes, this is the Canadian. Ca- this is the Canadian classic. And I remember being like, Black Christmas is from Canada. Ginger mm-hmm. Snaps is from Canada. I think that they win. <laughs> they do. They, they, Canada Canada produces some of like this is artisanal craft horror that comes out of Canada. <laughs> this is like top shelf the finest vintage being exported from that country yes it's like the blood i love it the bunchy clothes so that i don't have to think that anyone in this movie is hot it does <laughs> I, love, I love how much it doesn't matter if people are hot in this movie and i just feel like that's what canada gives to us and it's just also just more chill with what it's doing and I really love the blood. The blood looks great, and the puppet, the puppetry, the puppet. Yes. Those, that's great. I love that. Yeah, this this movie would have, I think, I think, sank under its own budget if they would have gone for like CG werewolves instead of the puppets. <laughs> that would have been amazing. I always prefer a puppet. If you watch The Howling, that also has great wolf puppets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, one. I'm 100. You know, like the 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 CG. I, every time I think of CG werewolves, I think of Twilight and how they're like one ton giant werewolves, but they like feel totally weightless and they're like just kind of flopping around all the time. Yeah, it's kind of like the CG Scooby Doo. The way that. Oh she- my god. <laughs> <laughs> and I think without the puppet, there wouldn't have been the same same sense of threat either like because it's like you say the cg cg version would just feel like insubstantial but when when right at the end it's like smashing through doors it kind of like it 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 hits hard right yeah oh yeah Yeah. 
Oh, I, I, I was just gonna say, like, you know, like CG is great and it's got and it's got its place and stuff. But I think a huge problem with the contemporary over-reliance on CG is just how weightless it all is. Like everything feels like it's made out of like foam, you know, and everything's just floating and it's so light. But like, yeah, I, th- I think you're both completely correct. Like these werewolves feel present. You know, the blood hits, the gore is heavy. Everything in this movie is like sticky and steamy and awkward and uncomfortable. And I think a large part of that is, is like, you know, like, like Catherine Isabella had like four hours a day in costuming to put on her werewolf makeup. Mm -hmm. And that's got to not be the most fun experience, you know? So like, and I think like that, like it's embodied in the movie. There's all this tension and weight. And part of that comes from the literal tension and weight of the special effects. Yeah, a lot of modern horror has way too much CG and it just makes the stakes seem lower. It's, I don't know. And also, every, do you ever feel like movies have gotten, like horror movies have gotten like either like blue or gray and those are like the only two colors that it can be? Yes, all the time. Yeah. The color palettes are so washed. It's like the most frustrating shit in the world. <laughs> Blood is supposed to be like shiny and loud and disgusting and not like muted and kind of like rubbery, like yeah, frustrated. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. And I love all of the fake deaths and like the weird obsession yeah. with death to the point where Mimi Rogers can't tell if so, like it's real or fake, like organs around. And mm-hmm. all that. Yeah, she finds she finds a couple of fingers outside. And she's like, oh, those girls, they never clean up after themselves. And I wonder if this is like a callback to like Harold and Maude, because that's immediately what I thought. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, and uh, they even they even managed to sort of hide a corpse in their in their chest freezer by pretending that they're staging another uh, death scene. <laughs> and. Which is it's that moment where she's like, she's literally covered in this girl's blood that they've just brained on the counter. And she's like, oh, it's just corn syrup, daddy. Do, do you want to try some? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. What a, what a great flex. Just being like, do you want to taste it? He's absolutely not. <laughs> right. That, that is a power play right there. No, I think, um, I, I think like, so, you know, uh, uh, Pamela, right? Mimi Rogers' character. I think the interaction with violence here presages everything that like is is kind of like happening with or that will go on to happen in kind of like this post Columbine environment, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I like I went to high school in like the immediate aftermath of Columbine, and I remember like uh, you could get suspended if you wore combat boots or trench coats or a plaid shirt tied around your waist. I remember like bands on pentagrams because those were violent and dangerous. And it's like this hyper focus on like violence is the only thing that matters, but it's a superficial uh, wrong kind of violence. Everybody wants to focus on, on like Marilyn Manson and not like the real violence. Right. So like Pamela is so wound up and, and her daughter's doing like these kind of like, like memento mori melancholia photography stuff like that's the violence she's she's so focused on that she can't read the kind of like gendered violence that that ginger's struggling with and that bridget's desperately running from like the the real substantive violence in this movie is kind of like completely over the head of every adult in the room oh completely um do you mind i really think that the person that can like help illustrate that point is 
um, our problematic fave, Ash, um, which would be the... I never thought I would be talking about Ginger Snapped in the context of the work of the Slovenian philosopher Slavo Žižek. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Again, he's, he's already mostly on the way to being kind of like a, a slumpy werewolf anyway, so... The, 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 tr the trash werewolf of Eastern Europe, Slavo Žižek. <laughs> but... But Zizek talks about this idea of, of, of two levels of violence, of subjective and objective violence. So subjective violence is the stuff that gets attention. It's the, it's the uh, kind of uh, great event that kind of people start paying attention to and panicking about. But all of that is just a ideological kind of distraction um, away from the objective, as he calls it, violence of, of systems of capitalism, right? The, this 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 kind of obsession with controlling their, their teenage daughters, uh, even if they do it completely ineffectually, all of that stuff that you were talking about, uh, Ash, is, is kind of those those policing and disciplining systems that this subjective violence is supposed to be excluded away from. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I was thinking about whilst you were saying that. No, it makes sense. <laughs> the first time anyone said that in relation to Slavo Žižek. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that i mean that theory does make sense i i you know i was thinking about this recently because i've been i wrote about promising young woman and i'm in a like a bunch of podcasts talking about it um and a lot of my issue with it is that it just focuses on one guy and one thing that he did wrong and there are so many films like that where it's just like it's just this one person and then after that um I mean, of course, there are like people involved too, but it's just so hyper focused on one person. And it's very, you know, and what's more interesting and almost like what's more pressing is the whole system that allows this to happen. And it's the parents, it's the teachers, it's the whole culture. Mm. The thing that made me think of it was that the really opening scene where there's like the kid is playing in the sandpit in the backyard and. Uh, mom finds a a the dismembered body of their family dog and like runs screaming out into the street and all the kids look over from their hockey game and just go like eh and go back to playing and it's like yeah completely don't really care we don't the, the, <laughs> the objective the objective systematic horror of of the suburbs just rolls on <laughs> <laughs> And like we we we've talked about this on the show so many times, but like the, the very existence of suburbia is a horrific project, right? So suburbia exists to instantiate empire and genocide, and like the, the theft of land, right? And like the way suburbs are structured, like you need a car, you need to be completely beholden in, into like the the overwhelming capitalist systems to function in this society, and if you if you slip even just a little bit away. From that, like you will be left for dead in a suburban environment, right? Like there, there, there are no like, there's no public transit. There's there's no uh, uh, services that have like, like like acted like like an artery system in the suburbs to supply it with life. Like these places are completely artificially sustained, and there's there's something deeply horrific about all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe the most famous example being. Uh john carpenter's halloween like that's 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 the kind of that's what suburbia is really like if you look at it through the lens of a, of a horror film and that kind of explains 
Mimi Rogers' character, right? The the line where I was kind of like, okay, I I, I sort of get her character a little bit more was um, where she's telling um, B that they're going to leave together, and B goes, well, what about Dad? And she just says, he'll 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 blame me. They all they they all will. It's like, well, you, we I know what you've done, but no one is going to take you away from me because I can't let that happen. And it's not just a, it's not just out of like concern. It's this this idea of like the suburbs is supposed to be the place where nothing bad happens. You know, nothing happens. That's kind of the problem. But um, yeah, I I sort of that was the moment where I was sort of like, okay, I kind of get her character a little bit more now. No, I yeah. love her character. Oh, oh, go on. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. I was just agreeing. Go on. <laughs> okay. No, it's because I love Pamela's character, right? Because like, what do you do? You know, like, like we we exist in a society that uh, unfortunately we haven't created like the 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 necessary framework yet to dispose of like the capitalist system, so we're stuck with it. You know, and like you're you're like in the context of this movie, like your daughters are going through something that is like barely comprehensible on the best of terms. And in addition to that, there's patriarchal violence, right? There's suburbia, there's isolation, there's economic anxiety. There were all these things firing at the same time. And like her her only like like she is like so deeply human. And this is like my last rewatch, and maybe this is because like I'm an old now. And like I'm starting to relate to adults in movies a little more, but like like I'm watching her character, and I was just like, like I don't, I don't have kids, but I was thinking like, man, what the hell would I do if my cat did something bad? You know, I would be like, all right, buddy, like get in the car, it's you and me on the road. <laughs> I did just compare children to cats, I guess. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I. <laughs> No, I totally, I mean, having a child is like being constantly in terror because it's just like, what's, what's going to happen? Where are they going? Are they going Mm -hmm. to fall? What's up? And I, and I don't have children, but I did like raise my four younger siblings. Mm -hmm. So I know the terror of just like you turned and now they're upstairs and how did they get upstairs? They were downstairs a second ago, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know this idea of of, of like uh, it's it's really it's really interesting when you kind of have that moment of realizing that you know ginger has become this kind of creature that will do whatever it takes and then right at the end we go yeah well mimi rogers will do whatever it takes as well um and i i think you're completely right like this idea of like it's having having that responsibility for 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 children for for anyone vulnerable is kind of terrifying that terrifying anxiety um there was a documentary series over in here in the UK a little while ago um on on class and um one episode was kind of in the suburbs with like middle class parents who'd moved out to give their kids a new life and there's this amazing scene where they're just kind of talking at, at a table and somebody comes in and goes, oh, what's what's the topic of conversation? And the host goes, we're talking about middle-class anxiety. And she just goes, oh, my God, where do you start? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think you're right, though. It's like the, the basic condition is, is like this, this constant on-edge anxiety of what might happen. And knowing that there's a limit 
as to how much you can do to prevent something happening. Yeah. I do love how accepting she is. I mean, oh man, we're spending so much time on the mom. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's, I didn't realize how much I liked her until now, but yeah. Um, I feel like we should talk more about Bridget, which is kind of a hard character to do because she's playing the, um, I don't know if either one of you watch Roseanne, but kind of like the Darlene the no note. And um, it's always hard to like read Darlene in the same way that it's very hard to read Bridget and what she actually wants. And also mm -hmm. the depth of her feelings for her sister, because it feels like more deep than usual. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I think that that is like, that's, that's such an important thing to kind of like flag up and recognize about Bridget and Ginger's relationship, you know, is that like they have to be for each other more than just siblings, right? Because siblings can have falling outs and arguments and and it's it's a it's a relationship that that is allowed kind of more space than between Bridget and Ginger. But I think it's because like in in, in the world in which they live, they're literally all the other one has. You know, they're like inextricably woven into each other's lives. Like there's no friends outside of that. There's no romance outside of that. There's no hobbies outside of that. So you have this kind of like, like they have nothing that's not each other. Yeah. And that is, that is, that is partly a, a kind of condition of, of, of who they are, but it's also a condition of choice. Cause like there's something like in, at the beginning Bridget is like so incredibly like, and I genuinely mean this like as a positive. She's like so hostile towards everything and everyone, and I, I love it. Um, where she describes high school as a, a as a hormonal toilet, and she's just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like amazing, yes. And she just wants to like, she just wants to write it out in her room alone. It's like she's basically got this kind of like aura of just leave me the fuck alone that just emanates off her um so i really like her character yeah, yeah she, I, she's I, like I really, daria really, it's great yeah very these are very formative kinds of characters for me personally <laughs> <laughs> from i don't know especially based on like the way that i talk the way like as a kid I kind of decided how I wanted to sound and it is very similar to characters like this. <laughs> but what I really like about, uh, and I, you know, I found, I found like the whole, her arc to be something like really effective because what she basically tries to do is assert some, some kind of like agency and some, some separation of self, right? She tries to kind of assert herself as a as a subject to 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 put it one way and that's what she says to ginger right she ginger's trying to destroy everything that's not her because there's the possibility that she might find a sort of existence outside of it and um yeah that that scene where they kind of have their 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 blood packed as it were uh it's like uh, yeah i i found that whole i found the whole kind of character arc she goes through really really convincing yeah. And what about Ginger's journey? Because that one's a little bit harder to parse. Uh, 
so there's there's kind of like one thing that like really stood out for me this time kind of like watching ginger's character and that's like like there's no justice for her in this movie there's no there's no justice for ginger going on here and that's like i i couldn't i couldn't help but be like drawn into all the reasons why that is you know like we have we have in one hand like like the readings of the film that are just text right what the movie's giving us you know like like this movie is about the relationship between young women and the patriarchy you know and like ginger is kind of caught in the gears of that violence and, and like what does she do does she become a cool girl and kind of like give in and play along you know or does she try and like resist it and and like what was like what, what's the quote from like like the i think it's in the beginning of the film and something like girls can either only be like sluts bitches or teases or something like that and so she's like stuck in that hell and then she becomes a werewolf and there's no like there's 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 no hope for her ever in this movie you know like she's damned from the start and like her her story is so dark and that makes her anger so like so so visceral and so immediate you know because if, if you've got nothing all you have left is anger and spite it's interesting because you know the kind of uh critical reclaiming of jennifer's body that uh jennifer's mm -hmm. body is actually you know jennifer is of course a ginger-like character yeah and she i don't know she she gets a little bit more humanity in her than i feel like ginger does and i don't know how exactly that is because i don't know if the the script is more invested in jennifer than than this script is for Ginger or in the way that it's played? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm not like, they're definitely almost the same character. And like, I, at least, at least for me, like one of the, one of the things about them that feels so different is that like Jennifer is like, I think closer to like the immediate cultural context than Ginger is. So Ginger feels like, something out of the 90s where jennifer feels like a bit more timeless you know like like her her outfits aren't like as easily dated and like her her like the character and the trope and the world that she's in isn't so like just heavily laden with 90s iconography yeah yeah the 90s does i i think about the 90s a lot in terms of the way that it depicted young women, especially, mm -hmm. you know, ones that either were sexually active or wanted to be. And there was just this feeling in the 90s that there is nothing scarier than a young woman who wants to have sex and <laughs> she will destroy you or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> destroy society with like her sexual power. And I've, I don't know. I feel like that colored how a lot of people thought about with it definitely colored how I thought about myself for a long time. So I think that that's also part of it where what happens to Ginger seems way sadder to me now than then, because then right. I was like, this is what's supposed to happen. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually agree with you. And I was reading some stuff about this film in the context of um things like uh, aid cinema and there's a lot of talk mm -hmm. about there's a lot of talk about infections you know there's a lot of talk about um you know what you shouldn't be doing i think you're completely right that that is something that makes ginger's story so sad because like what happens to her 
you know, she's just out for a walk. Okay, she's going to kidnap somebody's dog. Let's let's, just, <laughs> let, let's bracket that for a minute. <laughs> but like, you know, she's just out for a walk, and this uh, she's she's attacked by this creature. Um, so it it almost feels kind of it it you, it feels so kind of deeply unfair by the end of it. What happens to her? I because uh, I mean, what does Bridget actually get? You know, she. I guess she doesn't get what happens to like what happens to Ginger doesn't happen to her. But, you know, the boy that she likes is also dead. And there's the sense, you know, wonder, is she going to is what lesson is this teaching her? Is this teaching her to like never have sex and never have romance? Because it's just gonna corrupt you, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> Brid- Bridget is also like it's, it's like really tragic, you know? Because she 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 lives through this whole experience, and then in the end, like it, it, it gets it gets intentionally infected with the werewolf disease, so she can be with Ginger right there at the end. And, and kind of like re resubscribe to like the idea that it's just her and her sister, right? Like alone against the world. And like, I feel that like, and then, you know, while, while Ginger is, is busy becoming like this, like aggressive, sexual, like semi werewolf, you know, Bridget is like actually like she's, she's building a very relatable relationship to kind of the stoner botanist boy you know, like, like she's, she's actually doing the thing of like growing out of this kind of like, I don't want to say codependent because I don't want to like medicalize it, but like this, this island of a relationship with her sister mm. and like, you know, like not to drag in Ginger Snaps 2 again, but like in, in the sequel, like things just get so much worse for Bridget and like it, it winds up being that like Ginger got off easy once we get through the sequel. Oh yeah, I can't stand Ginger Snaps too. Like I think I gave it away. Oh, thank God. It was like I, I don't want this in my house. <laughs> no, I, I hate that movie so much. It is such like a fall from grace. How, how do you, how do you go from Ginger Snaps to Ginger Snaps Two and feel good about yourself? It is such a like <laughs> it's just trip like a, downhill. It's like a girl interrupted knockoff, and a girl, yeah. girl girl interrupted isn't that good of a movie either. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah, no, I hate it. And it also has that weird, like, gr- like, <laughs> that kind of weird, like, <laughs> sound, that kind of music that you, like, hear in, like, I don't know, um, uh, The Queen of the Damned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> music oh. in The Queen of the Damned. <laughs> yeah, it's like, in, like, in all of the discourse that it's trying to have, like, Ginger Snaps just does it all better. You know, like, Ginger Snaps 2 is all about, like, Drug. It's it's it wants to be all about like drugs and medicine and psychiatry, but like Ginger Snaps did all of that stuff just infinitely better than Ginger Snaps too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ginger Snaps too feels more like bandwagony, whereas Mm -hmm. like the first Ginger Snaps, that's an original. Like the only movie that we can pick can compare it to is jennifer's body which was totally influenced by it like this Mm -hmm. is this is a wholly original kind of story and i remember watching it for the first time and being like i love werewolves especially when they're women and (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i mean 
Ginger gets like a very sad story, but it also, I don't know, it has that kind of like provocative energy that I, that I want from female characters in horror movies because there's so much, there's so many times when they're just like, their whole thing is just like trying to survive and reacting to everything else around them instead of being like as self-contained, especially this is mostly just for like studio horror, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, totally. Yeah. And there like, is a kind of I... like, sorry, Ash, go on. Go on. Oh no, I, I was just gonna say that's one of the things that makes Ginger Snaps stand out so much is that like, Ginger B and Pamela, right? Like are are kind of like trio of leading ladies here. They're all like, I mean, for their flaws, for all the things that they're caught up in, you know, like they're all really agential, right? Like they're the forces driving this movie and everything else responds to them. You know, even when they make mistakes or they like do stock horror, stock movie stuff, like they're, they're still setting the tune. And I think that that's, that's part of the strength of this movie. Because if that would have been the other way around, and if this would have been about, like, a stoner boy has to save B from her werewolf sister, the movie would have been so much weaker. Oh, completely. Yeah, just one of those... There are so many, like, horror movies where it's just, like, a guy in his room with, like, binoculars, just, like, <laughs> watching other people's business and then being like, I, got, I gotta do something. <laughs> like who asked you no, like, no one, literally no one asked like <laughs> my drill right. i mean i think one of the film things i really like about this film is that it has the courage to have a, a genuinely depressing ending as well mm-hmm. like and and not just not just a kind of like downer ending but something that's like tragic and and like just 90s bleakness distilled down to like a needle sharp point uh because you know the kind of cliche ending would be like oh she finds the 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 unbroken syringe of cure right at the end and so she can save herself and she crawls up the stairs into the sunrise but it's like nope we're not we're not doing that you have you have to stay here as we just have the kind of slow zoom out of uh her her with her sister's corpse in what is now basically like a mausoleum mm-hmm. um so it's like I, I i sort of really respect that it set set itself up as this sort of dark and sort of uh this is this it's a grunge horror film basically and the ending commits to the bit yes exactly legit yeah i think like so I'd, I'm not I'm not like a big fan of downer movies because like, you know, no, nothing against them, but like downer movies and rom-coms are like the same kind of movie, you know, because they're they're all really like the, the scripting is so similar and it's so tight and it's really like it's it's formulaic and simple to create a world that is like it starts really sad and things just get sadder from there. You know, it, there's there's this like there's a surreality to it, a disbelievability. But I think like. You know, with you're right, Ginger Snaps is absolutely a tragedy, like a capital T tragedy in the true sense, right? Like, you know, would would things have been different? Would the world have been a little bit better? All of our protagonists could have been saved, you know? So the the end of this movie is as much of a tragedy for, for Bridget as it is for us because it's indicting the world that we allow to continue to exist. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's very poetic. <laughs> Does anybody have any final thoughts on uh, Ginger Snaps? We really need to bring the grunge look back. It looks so comfortable. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, over, over, the oversized hoodies, like never going outside. I think it would work well for us right now. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that we all can pull that off. All right, we're, we're here for, we're officially bringing back the grunge look. Uh, the time has come. Um, somewhere somewhere in Seattle, uh, a, a, a garage band's ears just perks up. It's like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's our time. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I completely, I completely agree. Uh, let's, let's bring back the grunge aesthetic. I'm wearing a giant oversized cardigan right now. So I feel like I could make this work. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Dope. I'm wearing, I'm wearing an, uh, unironically, I am wearing an oversized hoodie right now, and I have never felt more comfortable in my adult life. So here we go. I am wearing a t-shirt from the video game Night in the Woods. <laughs> hey, that counts. That's grunge. That works. That's, that, that is 90s culture. It, that game is 90s culture. True, true. So you're, you're like meta grunge. You're like one level above everything. That's great. Yeah, doing great. Just breaking barriers over here. <laughs> to truly the, the grunge icon that we all need right now. We really do. <laughs> and I also I love I love how this movie is dirty and it's gray, but not gray in a like we're trying too hard way, but gray is how the world is normally great. Really great cinematography. I don't know if I mentioned that, but it like the shots are really good. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, as as someone who lives in the north of England, I looked at the weather and went, "Yeah, I can relate." <laughs> <laughs> and not in that kind of like, as you say, not in that sort of washed out, you know, uh, desaturated color palette, but like, you know, you've you've grown up in a place where for six months of the year. It's just, it's just gray. It's just gray clouds up there. And yeah. it just, it just all works. It's such, I'm so glad this is the, uh, this is the first full length werewolf episode we've done on the show. Yeah. If you ever want to do the howling, I will come back. Cause I have so many thoughts. Oh my God, please. <laughs> Cause we need to do an episode on the howling. <laughs> I have not seen the sequels because I have been warned about them, but the first one so fascinating it is indeed a downhill ride but you start at such great heights with the first howling <laughs> I, I love the idea of us having a kind of uh, a, a werewolf correspondent <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah anytime you need to talk about werewolves i'm here i'm working on a werewolf screenplay and i need to you know all the research I oh can hell do. yeah Oh, brilliant. Well, welcome aboard as our official werewolf correspondent. And thank you so much for your service. Uh, I promise to be drunk next time. I'll be a different kind of guy. <laughs> we'll get the full spectrum over, over, over the years or something. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming on our show. And if you want to uh, remind the listeners where they can find you, find your work, support you and all that good stuff. 
I'm on Twitter and Instagram at J-O-U-R-D-A-Y-E-N. You can find my link tree. It's like link tree slash J Searles, my last name, S-E-A-R-L-E-S. You know, you can look my portfolio up on Muckrack. I'm over there. And also please listen to the Bad Romance pod. We're on, we're on Spotify. We're everywhere. Hell yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And we look forward to having you back for more werewolfy fun. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be so good. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>